we just couldn't shake the fact that this was something the Lord was calling us to, which made it even crazier because we have people in our life that are like, you're 22 years old. Like, you're kids yourself. Like, what do you mean? Like, you're going to be parents. And uh, my father-in-law put it this way. He said, if you're walking by a bridge and there's a little boy drowning, you know how to swim. Do you say, well, someone else knows how to swim too? Do you ignore the emergency or do you just jump in without thinking? And that's what we did. We knew there was a little boy who needed a family. There was a little boy who needed God's love and we were ready to give that love to someone. We had no idea how to do it, but we knew how to swim. And so we jumped in and God filled in the gaps. If God has called you to be a parent, then he has called you to something amazing and terrifying and messy and stressful and isolating. But I am here to tell you that you are not alone. I'm Summer Shepherd, and this is No Seriously, How Do I Do This? Welcome to a very special segment of No Seriously, How Do I Do This? Where for the next three weeks to round out National Adoption Month, we're going to be chatting about adoption. And this is a topic that is super close to my heart. Many people know about me uh, that I am half adopted which is a super weird thing to say. It makes a lot of people real confused. So let me explain it. My mom biologically is my mom, but my dad, he legally adopted me when I was still a baby. He fell in love with my mom, was her best friend and said, hey, I want to legally adopt Summer so I can call her my daughter without feeling like I'm lying. And so from very early on, I understood what a blessing it was to be chosen by someone who had no need to claim me, but did so because they wanted to. Later, I'd learn what it was like as a believer on an even greater scale to be chosen, to be welcomed into a family. And so this is something that I care very much about, and I cannot wait to dig into with you. So here's what you can expect over the next few weeks. We're going to be talking to three individuals who have a very different take on this adoption thing come at it from very different angles. And to kick us off, it is someone that you may know and love, Austin French. He is a recording artist, but perhaps more importantly, he is a father. And I cannot wait for him to share with you his adoption story. Now, Austin, before we get into that specifically, uh, you you have how many children? I got three kids. Three kids. Yeah. Okay. And what are their ages? Five, three, and one and a half. Five, three, and one. That is some decent spacing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, you, you could call it that decent, <laughs> decent, or it's like the no sleep zone. That's what I call it. Yeah. I, I have a six year old, a four year old, and nine month old twins. So there you go. You I know? understand. Yeah. No, yeah, being away, it's like you feel guilty that you don't feel more guilty because it's <laughs> it's like yes, all right, I'm in a hotel yes. room, I don't have to clean, eating yep. food I didn't have to cook, and I don't have tiny humans yeah. pulling on my sanity. Yeah. But you miss them at the same time. Absolutely. Right? That's just reality. That's it. So um, backing up then even further, do you have siblings yourself? I do, yeah. So I have a sister, uh, older sister, younger sister. Um, and yeah, I came from like a family of uh, small kids. My parents got a divorce when I was a kid. Uh, and then my dad went on to marry someone and also adopted a little boy um, mm-hmm. in that process. So technically I have four uh, siblings, but yeah, it's been it's been a really cool journey growing up that way. 
Now, growing up, did you always know that you wanted kids? Oh, yeah. I mean, I loved kids. Uh, I loved to laugh, and I thought kids are the goofiest things, and they say the darndest of things. Yes, they do. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I knew we wanted, uh, me and my wife both knew we wanted kids. We had a five-year plan, you know, to start having kids. Naturally. And uh, that did not happen. Uh, we just celebrated s- seven years working on our eighth, and we have three. So you can tell me how that went. And, uh, but yeah, I, we've always, I, I think I've always wanted to be a dad, uh, but it also was the thing that terrified me the most. Why is that? Well, I, I grew up in this crazy home, so I told you my, my family was kind of, uh, my, my dad and my mom, we had a divorce when I was young. And my dad was really abusive growing up, uh, terrible dad, hit, hurt, and asked us to like pretend like the scars never happened. Mm-hmm. So a lot of trauma um, there, and I honestly hated Christians for a long time because my dad was a worship pastor. And uh, the conversation that we'd have pulling up at church on Sundays was, uh, hide the scars, put a smile on your face, and we're going to church. And so, yeah, my dad was like my least favorite person in the whole world. And he was a Christian, and people told me he was the godliest father, godliest man. But I can understand why the godliest man beat his wife and kids behind closed doors and asked us to never talk about it. So uh, parents got a divorce later on in life. My dad and I's relationship super estranged. And, uh, yeah, I just never had a good example of what being a dad was. So I knew I loved kids and loved the joy that they brought into people's lives. And, you know, as a kid, I was the kid that was envying my neighbor, throwing catch, you know, with their dad in the yard. Um, But I just never, I was terrified to be a dad because I didn't want to repeat the process. You know, I didn't want, I didn't know if I could escape that. Um, And it wasn't until I was in eighth grade when I got saved, I I met Jesus. And I figured out that Jesus wasn't, uh, the shame that I felt. He was the healer of the shame that I felt. And Mm -hmm. the scars that my dad asked me to cover up were the scars that Jesus could actually heal and use. And uh, I realized that the story that I had and the dad that I had, um, if I let it be my crutch, I could walk on that. Um, Or I could let it be my testimony and God could use it. Mm -hmm. So that's what I decided to do. And um, that's kind of, if we're talking about kids and we're talking about adoption and talking about all that, when I met my little boy for the first time, um, two things ran in my mind. So the little boy that we eventually adopted was in foster care. And I thought when I first met him, I heard the Lord just whisper to my heart, you're his daddy. And uh, I pretty much screamed back, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was terrified. Not number, number one, you know, I thought I had a plan for my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but number two, I was terrified to be a dad. And uh, I was like, there's no way I could be a good dad. Like, there's, I don't know what that looks like. And uh, I, I began to realize that the Lord was going to use everything that I saw not to do. And he was going to slowly teach me how to do yeah. the right thing. And yeah. So is your adopted child your first child yes. then? So he's, he's the oldest. Yeah, yeah. We met him. He was six months old. Um, he had just got out, taken out of a situation that was not good for him. And um, just like the foster system, that's what they do. And my mother-in-law and father-in-law had picked him up. And um, I met him, like, right after being kind of taken out of that situation, the night of. And uh, not on my radar at all, my wife's radar at all. We've been married for, like, a year. Yeah. And we were moving to Florida the next day. And my mother-in-law shows up and my father-in-law, and they're holding this, you know, 
bundle of dough in their hands. He's just like the tubbiest thing you've ever seen. Like I was like, I think he has legs and a neck somewhere, but I can't find Taking it. Taking that on faith. Yep. yep. Yeah. And uh, and I met him, and it was like it was audible for me, and my spirit was just like, you're his daddy. And my wife felt the same thing, and we were terrified. And I tell people this all the time, but you can either do two things when God speaks to you like that. You can either run from it, or you can say, I'm scared to death, and just admit that it's something that you have to do in faith. Mm. Um, and you run from the Lord, sometimes you end up in the belly of a whale, and that doesn't end up too well. Or you could admit that you have no idea what you're doing, and uh, let the Lord fill in the gaps. No, so seriously, how do I do this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, okay, so let me wrap my mind around this. So you had a five-year plan that mm-hmm. eventually maybe will be parents, but honestly, I'm terrified of it. Yeah. And then about a year in, you meet a child that's not even yours biologically, and you decide we're going to fast track this a good three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, now, not to, how old were you when you met your son? I was 22 years old. That's amazing. Okay. So... This sorry, this is all boggling my brain because normally I feel like when I talk to people who have adopted, it's like, oh, we tried for a long time to have mm-hmm. our own kids, and we couldn't, and we really wanted to be parents, yeah. and so we adopted, and that's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. You're like, I was terrified to be a dad. I wasn't ready to be a dad. I was barely over being a kid myself. <laughs> exactly. And now I'm welcoming an, a child brought out of a traumatic situation into our lives. So when you felt like the Lord was saying that, you said you were terrified. Was your wife terrified or was she excited? Uh, same, terrified, but also excited. Um, there was this, we had always talked about like, you know, when you're dating and you're talking about life and what your life, you want your life to look like. We knew adoption, like we would love to adopt one day. Sure. Uh, and we even thought about doing foster care, um, you know, and that's something that we thought about doing one day. And we thought, we'll have our kids first and do that later. And um, that's not how it happened at all. But yeah, I, we were both terrified. And we just couldn't shake the fact that this was something the Lord was calling us to, which made it even crazier because we had people in our life, they're like, you're 22 years old. I'm like, your kids yourself. Like, what do you mean? Like, you're going to be parents. And uh, my father-in-law put it this way. He said, if you're walking by a bridge and there's a little boy drowning, you know how to swim. Do you say, well, someone else knows how to swim too? Do you ignore the emergency or do you just jump in without thinking? Um, and that's what we did. Like We knew there was a little boy who needed a family and we needed there was a little boy who needed God's love and we were ready to give that love to someone. Um, we had no idea how to do it, but we knew how to swim. Mm-hmm. And so we jumped in and God filled in the gaps. I love how available you were mm. because you didn't you didn't seek this out but when it came to you like you said you jumped in you swam you you rescued this little boy now how soon after meeting him until he became part of your family Oof, it was a journey um if anybody dealing with the foster system my prayers are with you uh it was a messy journey uh, moments of like yes like as soon as rights and all these things are terminated and all these things walk out He's yours, and it was a fast process, we thought. And uh, fast forward almost two years later, mm-hmm. uh, through the process, several court hearings, several uh, things that just yeses and nos and all arounds, and moments where we'll never see him again, uh, to moments, hey, he's going to be yours in a couple of days. Like it was a roller coaster ride. But yeah, right before his second birthday, um, he ended up coming to live with us in Nashville, Tennessee. So. 
And the craziness of all that, like we were praying for him. We felt like he was our son, so we would travel. Like we lived in Florida for a while, and so almost every other weekend we'd drive all the way up 12 hours one way um, to go visit him for the weekend and just spend time with him. And then go back to work on the week, wait another week, and then go back up. And we just felt like our son was in Georgia. We couldn't shake it. You know, you love kids. If you love kids, you know, like, oh, they seem fun. They seem awesome. But I never felt the feeling like I would die for this little boy. Like, I'd go hungry for him. I wasn't expecting that. Um, But I couldn't shake it. And that's when I knew. I was like, there's something more than just like, he's a cute kid. You know, where's Mm -hmm. his neck? You know, like, (laughs) it was was like, I'm this kid's dad. I'm going to do anything it takes to take care of him. And I committed, we committed our life to it. Um, So, yeah, it's, it. Two years, almost two years to the day, um, well, making it official. Two months after he came to live with us, my wife gave birth to our firstborn son. So no kids, the two kids, and two months. And uh, you can tell me how that went. Yeah, I was doing the math in my head. I'm like, that's got to mean no. Now, I do want to go back to what you were saying about just this indescribable love you had for this Mm -hmm. little ball of dough. I think that's a fear a lot of people have is that it's going to be different. They're mm. not going to love them the way that they would love yeah. a biological child. And you're saying it caught you off guard. Right. It, it just, it, it swept you up. He won't listen to this. Have you ever, is there a difference that you feel between uh, your biological children and him? No. Like he's my kid. And if he falls his knee, I run. You know, mm-hmm. if he is screaming for help or if he says, daddy, I melt, you know, mm-hmm. like, well, yes, I got to see the birth of my my two other kids, and that's something that's super special. Uh, but when I saw this little boy for the first time, it almost was this birth moment of like, you weren't in my life, and now you're in my life, and you have changed everything. He may have been six months old, but to me, it was the first time he looked at me, and first time I got to hold him. And uh, I'll never forget that moment. Like, he's my kid. And whether he shares my blood and DNA uh, or not, um, he'll always be my son. I find it really powerful that you were saying you didn't have a good example. When you were growing up, you didn't see what a good father was meant to be. And yet what you played out in choosing that child that wasn't yours to be your son, you were following a far greater example. Like yeah. you were following your father's example, right. just not your bio dad's. Yeah. And that's where it kicked in. Yeah. was like, I was so afraid uh, that I was going to naturally follow this example that my you know, biological dad here led for me. Um, but when it came down to it, the, when my dad checked out, there was another dad that checked in. Um, and I was loved by God the Father. I was led. I was changed. I was transformed. And uh, it, it really was this like, okay, God, this is how you loved me. Like, this is how you love me. That's why I think adoption is so beautiful is because you take someone like me or you who we have no claim, no claim to the throne, no claim to say, yeah, I can, I'm, I'm good because I'm a part of the family. No, we're, we're actually enemies of God born that way. But he loves us enough to sacrifice for us and call us out of that and give us a new name. That new name is that adoption. Um, and so it's taking someone like my little boy, Coleman, who doesn't share my DNA, uh, doesn't inherit anything from me just because he's existing. Um, but it's being able to replicate the love God showed me when he called me out of my trauma 
and gave me a dad. And uh, that's what I get to be for this little boy. And it's just this really sweet moment where it's like, okay, dad, I want to grow up to be like you, um, like God the Father. And I get to now live out what that looks like and what he did for me in a small way. Now, you were talking about that trauma you grew up Mm -hmm. under, that abuse. Um, Not only being abused, but seeing your siblings and your mom. Mm. At what point did you trade in that fear of I'm afraid I'm going to be like my dad. Was it after you had your son? Mm. Like that something was like, no, no, I have, that's not me. What happened to break that cycle for you? I don't know if I ever traded in the fear. I just turned it into faith. The fear is something I wake up with every day because the enemy's right there saying, Hey, today's another day to fail. In turn, the Lord's there to say that today's another day to not do this by yourself. And, uh, and I think left to my own devices, if I didn't have Jesus, I think I would be that. I think I would be abusive. I think I would be mean. I think I would be uh, what I saw because that, how would I know anything different? Someone told me once that uh, fear is the greatest weapon of the enemy. I think the Bible teaches that. And so anytime that they feel fear, uh, they use it as a weapon back against itself. So I'm afraid to be a dad. So does that mean I shouldn't be a dad? Or does that mean that the enemy wouldn't like it if I was a good dad? Um, Does it mean he wants me to fail? And so if if he wants me to fail, I know there's someone who's greater who wants me to succeed. Because my father loves me. God loves me enough to not let me fall on my face um, and give in to the fear. So that fear is something I feel every day. How how can I be a good dad? Like, am I going to screw it up today? And I take that fear and I say, no, the reason I feel this is because I care. And because I care, that means I'm actually more like my spiritual father than my biological father. And I take that fear and I say, okay, I feel this. So I'm going to do everything to defeat it today. Um, And so it actually keeps me on my toes because sometimes it's easy um, to just kind of coast. And like, I got a good thing going here. Like, just hit the gas and go. Um, But that fear for me of can I really beat what I grew up? with is this constant reminder for me to be like, oh, I don't have to live that way. Uh, And the fear is calling my name, but Jesus is calling a little bit louder. Mm, I like that. Okay, no, I love love that. Because I talk to a lot of moms, especially, who are beating themselves up. Mm. Like, I'm just, I'm so afraid I'm going to, I'm like, the fact that you care is evidence of of what a good mom you really are. Mm. Not a single one of us is perfect. And the worst of us are the ones that can't see how we're not perfect and how we need help and how we need support. And so leaning into that, but then also what you said, I think the most cunning thing the enemy can do is to keep quiet. Absolutely. Like if he were to show up walking down the street with pitchforks and everything, <laughs> like church would be full on Sunday totally. mornings. Yeah. But by by being quiet and whispering. Mm. And so I I think that is such a beautiful practice. It's like, okay, I am feeling very insecure in this area. I'm feeling very afraid in this area. Mm. Something about where I am right now is intimidating the hell out of the enemy. Yeah. And, and so it's like, I need to lean into this. Yeah. How has that informed intentionality in your parenting? Mm, yeah. I mean, I think it's taking the confession, um, uh, making the confession important. So what do I mean by that? Well, scripture says, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. If you screw up, admit it, confess it. Like me and my wife, it's something we do every day. But like, hey, here's where I missed it today. And you know what's cool about that? 
is that it's not as hard to hit the mark the next day um, because it's something I wasn't quiet about. You know, like the intentionality in my parenting is to not pretend I have it together. I watched my family do that. I had conversations with my parents like, hey, clean up. Like, we're going to church today. Don't let people know you're hurting. That's the conversations I grew up with. And so now we just turned it on its head. Be like, we're hurting. Let's talk about it. We missed it. We, we hurt each other somehow. I said something. I hurt someone's feelings today. How do I not do that again? I confess it. Um, I, t- I sit my little boys down. It's the most humbling thing in the world to sit down a five-year-old in the, and look him in the eyes and say, Daddy messed up. I'm sorry. And then he says, Dad, why did my boogers taste so good? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm so glad okay. we had this well, serious uh, moment. Maybe, exactly. <laughs> maybe this moment was more for me uh, than you. But it's humbling. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. It's like, if I, if I pretend to be perfect, my kids know I'm not. My wife knows I'm not. Who am I fooling? But if I confess it to them, they know that I admit to what I did. And it's a chance to lead someone to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I tell my boys every night and I apologize every night for little things that I did. Even if it's just like I cut you off. I didn't want to listen to you. Daddy was on the phone and I was busy. That probably hurt your feelings. And I'm sorry. Like daddy gets busy and I get laser focused sometimes. And sometimes I don't give you the attention you deserve. You deserve my attention. I love you and I'm sorry. Like that little things like that. Just admitting when you get it wrong, I think is important. And I'm very intentional. My, our family's very intentional about that. And we've getting to see that confession and honesty in us as parents inspires confession and honesty in our children. Mm. So they're not afraid to admit they're wrong. They know that it's something we should do, not something that we have to drag out of them. And it's, it's not easy. Um, but I do think vulnerability inspires vulnerability. And uh, I think that's when we find Jesus is one of the most vulnerable and most honest. Yeah. But I I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It backfires sometimes because then when we are just very comfortable repenting with our kids and we see that fruit in them, it's beautiful. But also we see that they are not afraid to point out in us. Absolutely. I was driving with my kids. I don't remember where my husband was, but it was the four of us. And... I was by myself and it was at night and it was raining and we were driving in a construction zone and I'm just hemmed in by semis, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm like like gripping the wheel. I'm so afraid I'm just going to kill all my kids. I'm going to make a wrong move or something. And this semi behind me is upset. I don't know how slow I'm going or something. Mm -hmm. And so he starts flashing his high beams like right in my mirror and I'm angry Mm because I'm already tense. Yeah. And so I said some nice things like I did not <laughs> cuss him out I was I had enough wherewithal to realize I do have children in the mm-hmm, car mm-hmm. but I was like come on man what's your problem and I didn't think anything of it and my daughter's like excuse me mom that is not how we talk to people <laughs> you mom, you need to apologize oh, and I'm yes. like uh and I'm yep. like, but I'm not sorry really and she's like yep. no mom you need to apologize you need to apologize to mm-hmm. him and you need to apologize to Jesus. Oh, wow. And there so I did. And I'm like sitting there. I'm trying not to crack up because mm-hmm. this is a serious moment for my daughter. Yeah. And so I'm like, sir, I'm sorry. I should not have said it. She's like, mom, how should you have said it? <laughs> I could have said, please, would you kindly not almost make me crash by flashing your high beams <laughs> in my mirror? And Lord, would you please forgive me? Good job, mom. I'm proud of you. You oh, know, so when, it's like, when we see those things modeled yeah. back in our kids. 90% of the time, it is a totally welcome mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. No, so all that to say, I love 
I love that intention that you show. And I, I know that your kids are seeing that, even though they're talking about boogers in the moment. <laughs> When they grow up, they're going to look back. They're going to have a very different understanding yeah. of, of what being a dad looks like mm. than you had as a child. I hope so. And I, I, I'm curious, how do your younger kids react to their older brother? Is there a difference? Is there any sense in their little brains that you there's know, something different at here? At this point, not really. Just recently, um, our five-year-old is starting. It was actually on Mother's Day to be, you know, even even harder to walk through but that's the first time now we're very open mm-hmm. with him about his story uh, all the books and things and we read a ton of books of like how do we do this like this is trauma and his body remembers trauma whether his you know brain dis- does or not his body does and so we don't know what he experienced in the first six months of his life it was definitely traumatic um and you know we don't know how that's going to affect him but you know we're very open to like we tell him the story and we tell him who his mom was and we tell him by name, like this is who she was. And like some people can't take care of people and some people don't make good choices. And, um, all we're called as believers to love people. And, um, and we talk about when the first time we met him and we, we started making it into actually this little book to help him walk through it. And, and so recently, uh, on mother's day, he's like, yeah, why did you take me away from my mom? why didn't why can't I go live I want to go live with her right now and like buddy like it you can't like it's not in a good place and and it's a very traumatic situation and it's her story so I'm not going to share it here but you know we have to walk through those things and as as hard and as uncomfortable as they are um we're teaching him that family is not who your blood is Family is who loves you, that's around you, that takes care of you, and that you're close to. You know, like I have so so many people in my life I count as family, but they're not related to me. Um, they're friends, and we treat them as family. And we, that's the thing that we tr- way that we try to live our life now with his trauma and what he's been through. It's a new take on family, um, and it's not that you're the outcast because you're adopted. It's that we are together, and that's why we're family. Yeah. Uh, we fight for each other. We love each other. We sacrifice for each other. It doesn't matter what you look like, what color your skin is. doesn't matter who you were before this. Like If you're in our house and we're taking care of you and we're sacrificing for each other, we're family. And that's not going to change mm-hmm. um, because your blood's not my blood. And we always bring it back to Jesus um, and the adoption that's happened for us. And so, yeah, it's hard moments. And you're going to face those. And... Man, uh, nothing really prepares you to get like punched in the stomach by those kind of conversations, mm-hmm. um, you know. But it is what it is, and you have to be able to just meet the moment as it arrives. So, as far as sibling goes, they are thick as thieves, and there's nothing weird in that dynamic. They're they love each other. They're brothers. They're brothers and sisters, and for him, that's what he gets. Now, he also has other brothers and sisters kind of spread out all over the United States, and we don't know all of them, and it's a very strange situation, and so we'll have to face that one day, Um, and we're going to try to help him get all the answers that he can. Our goal is not to keep him from the answers, but to help shepherd his heart when he finds them. Now, I I do want to ask, what support do you and your wife have? Because as you're talking, my heart lurched for you at that comment. Mm-hmm. 
now I, <laughs> I literally make my six-year-old swear all the time. I'm like, promise me that when you're in junior high, you're still going to love me. <laughs> that you're still going to want to cuddle with me. Because, you yeah. know, sometimes junior hires, they don't want to cuddle no, with their moms. Right. And they're like, what? You know? <laughs> so as parents in general, but especially in your cir- circumstance, mm-hmm. do you have support? Yeah. Yeah, we kind of have to. Uh, we several groups in our church that are in the foster and adoption um, world. And so for us, that's kind of where we went first was our church. Um, and we luckily are a part of a great church that fo- uh, fosters a great foster uh, <laughs> opportunities for people and encouragement for people to do that. And so, yeah, a lot of our best friends have kind of come out of the foster community and the adoption community. And so we're kind of all walking through same things and different timings, but uh, we're a part of a couple of those groups. And then also just friends um, that kind of get the story and they, they know like when we just need to vent and they know when they need to pray. So we have a lot of prayer warriors out there. Um, and my mother-in-law and father-in-law who they actually adopted a little boy. Um, and, and so, yeah, so we're walking in step with people who are doing it too. And we realize that we're all failing forward. That's what I like to call it. Um, and we're just learning and moving forward with what we've learned. And we're doing it together. Okay. That is, that is so, so beautiful, so important. And then I, I would just ask to wrap up our time, what you would say to that person who is where little Austin was, mm-hmm. looking at the father that they were born to. Yeah. And not seeing any reflection of Jesus mm. and finding reason to resent his people. And they're like, you know, I just haven't fully been able to break out of that or see beyond that. What encouragement might you have for someone in that situation? Yeah. All of your tomorrows aren't dependent on your yesterdays. And uh, I've seen Jesus take the statistics of who you should be and flip the script. Something that I believe and I've experienced is that just because you've had a broken past doesn't mean you have to have a broken future. For me, I couldn't do it on my own. Um, For a kid, you know, I was eight years old, and I remember writing the words, I will never be a Christian, in this little journal my grandma gave me. I'm 27 now. Looking back on that little journal entry when I was eight years old, I wouldn't have ever dreamed that God would have used every bruise, every scar, every fight, every argument. Um every bad memory um, to give a platform for healing. But I've, got, I've, I've watched God intersect those moments. I've watched God uh, heal the scars. I have a relationship with my dad today. My dad's one of my best friends. It took 18, year, 18 years pretty much for my dad to finally say he was sorry. Um, but God has restored our relationship. He's restored my, my, my faith in my dad. Um, I've just watched Jesus do too many things to heal so many things in me um, that I wouldn't have believed as an eight-year-old kid, uh, the little Austin. And so I would just say, hold on and and let Jesus redeem your life. It's not going to happen overnight, but he'll use the scars to make something beautiful. And you just have to be vulnerable and let it happen and run towards Jesus with everything you have. Because I have found without him, I would be everything I was scared to be. But with him, I'm everything I never dreamed I could be. Maybe you, like Austin, grew up in an environment that fostered fear. Maybe it was dysfunctional and it was disintegrating and it was disillusioning to what a family could be. I hope that you hear from Austin today, first and foremost, that you are loved 
but by the God of the universe that you are chosen and that you have a chance to break those chains. The fact is, whether adoption plays a part in your home life, we are all adopted. We were all invited into God's family when we didn't originally have any sort of claim to the kingdom. And so as we continue exploring adoption over the next several weeks here, be listening with that in mind, that what you hear these parents have endured and sacrificed and gone through for their children, it's a fraction of what God has endured and sacrificed and gone through for you, for me, for us. And as always, if you need a friend, shoot me an email, summer at seriouslyhow.com. You can find our community on Facebook. Just search for No Seriously, How Do I Do This? And if you haven't already subscribed to the show, please do. And if you wouldn't mind leaving a review, it's going to help other people find us. And be reminded, as I hope you are every single episode, you are loved and you're not alone.